0: When Trust Business Lunch, Elise Glink joins us. Elise, um, as we go to you, I wanted to mention something that is kind of in your wheelhouse anyway. It involves property and property taxes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that just before we came on with you, we visited with a superintendent of one of the school districts in the area, and he was talking about how they want to, in Prospect Heights, get all-day kindergarten. The state's mandated that they have to provide it, but the state isn't providing the money. He said we need to raise... Either property taxes higher or cut services, take the money we have and then give less to the community. If you have a $350,000 house, he said the ask in a referendum, which recently failed and is going to be on the ballot again in March, would cost the average taxpayer about $40 a month. I told him I was hoping for him it would come in a little lower. I don't recall having expressed an opinion about this per se. My own view is, I think this is money well spent. I'd like to see it for pre-K as well, mandatory. And not everybody agrees. I just want to mention this. 847 texted him.
1: Well, I I think that when you're supporting schools, This is a great thing. One of the things that I know that we have high property taxes, especially compared to other states, but I'd like to point out that what we do with a lot of that property tax is we do fund education. We have a great school system in the Chicago metropolitan area, and it's nice to see that that is, um, you know, continuing along. But I would also say that, you know, I get that another $480 a year is very serious uh, business for people, but You know, when it comes to real estate properties, uh, if you want your property value to stay high, then the community has to keep investing in schools because one of the top drivers of value for homes is the school district.
0: 847 said, I absolutely never disagree with John Williams. However, I've got grandkids in that school district, and I feel John just helped torpedo a worthwhile referendum. Well, if I did, it wasn't because that's my opinion, but I've been pointing out a lot of text messages from listeners who say they don't like what Illinois does with the tax dollars they get, and they don't think we ought to help subsidize what some see as daycare for parents when you could teach your kids your ABCs on your own. The super reminded us, it's a lot more educationally comprehensive now than it used to be. Better we pay now than pay later.
1: Oh, I completely agree. I think full-day preschool is a great thing. I wish our kids um, had had it via the state. Uh, They didn't. There was only a a half-day school and um, we ended up doing a private school simply because we felt like our kids would have benefited from having that full day experience and it's true that as a writer i could have taught my kids their abcs but what i couldn't give them was all the socialization that they get in an actual school environment and that's what my kids needed Uh, may not be the same for everybody that's out there but I'm always in favor of more education, John.
0: I don't think we have figured out exactly how to fund education publicly in Illinois or in America. If you have a lot of money and live in a rich area, then your taxes are higher and you get better schools. And it's a cycle that repeats itself uh, because the people that are poorer with poorer property values tend then to get less property taxes thrown off for schools that are poorer. I'm, I'm not sure what the solution to that is, but... Um, and I know that the amount spent per child at CPS is not small, but something's not working here. And I think we sort of turned a blind eye to it. Um, and, and clearly nobody's in favor of higher property taxes.
1: Well, that we can agree on.
0: Well, let's talk about, um, Freddie Mac and speaking of property, a mortgage product that's new. I'm going to pause here in a minute, but just give me the headline to start.
1: Yeah, right. Freddie Mac announced that they have a new mortgage product designed for low or very low income borrowers that provides uh, $2,500 f- uh, $2, in closing costs uh, and a 3% down payment mortgage. And that is aimed at potential homebuyers earning 50% of area medium inc- med- median income or less. And it starts on March 1st.
0: If I make half of what most folks make in my area, then Freddie Mac has a program to help me still buy a home. The closing costs won't go more than... Wait.
1: This th- is a credit towards the closing costs. Of 2500 So whatever 20, they are. $2,500 towards closing your closing costs. costs. I wonder mm-hmm.
0: if that... Does that include points, do you think, then?
1: I think it would include almost anything that would cost you out of pocket. They're they're trying to eliminate some of the big hurdles that first-time homebuyers face, Yeah, and uh, cash at closing is one of those uh, they'd like to eliminate. 224
0: said, I was on the school board when your guest, Dr. Don, was a Mount Prospect principal. He is one of the best leaders in the Northwest suburbs. If he says it's worth the price of a coffee to better educate young students, it is well worth it. 630, I know a family that left Naperville for Kentucky for lower taxes. Now all they do is complain about poor municipal services. But on the flip side, hey, that guy's full of crap. How about cutting the cost of his golden parachute that these school districts dish out? Then cry, it's for the kids. This is BS. And 763 says, quit trying to convince us. That all-day kindergarten will support kids long-term. Put the money toward teaching parenting lessons for parents who refuse to raise their children. There are some angry people out there about this uh, concept, Elise.
1: Wow, there certainly are, John. I, you know, I think the if you look at, I know the kindergarten starts at around age six, but if you look at the data um, from birth to age five. So, they call that early childhood development. What you see is that the more resources you pour into all kids of all colors and all races and all religions from birth to age five, it pays off in a huge way for them, their families, society, building generational wealth. There is so much good that comes from promoting early childhood development. And I will say to you right off the bat, I'm not an expert in this, but my sister, runs the Irving Harris Foundation, and she uh, specializes in early childhood development, and she's worked in this for many, many years all over the globe. Um, And she's really educated me on the incredible benefits that come from this. And so I get that we want parents to be better parents. I don't know if you can... Teach an old dog new tricks, really, but um, well, I do know we can teach kids new tricks.
0: The problem with teaching old dogs new tricks is that those dogs get old by their sophomore year. If then we say, <laughs> "Oh my God, we've got the problem," the evidence of the absence of this it manifests itself later in life, later in school. So if you don't if you don't teach these kids and get them academically interested or competent young, by the time they're in high school, um, they have options besides going to school, and they ain't good let's let's do everything we can to set these kids up to succeed rather than dealing with them when they fail. I'll stop preaching now, but that's my thought about it. Okay, okay. let's talk about people who would benefit from this Freddie Mac program, which would take $2,500 off the closing costs in a credit and allow them to buy a home with 3% down if they are at 50% or less of the median income in their area. I wonder yeah. if that sets people up for mortgages they can't afford.
1: I actually think it sets them up for mortgages that they can afford um, and the reason I say that is that uh, rent has gotten so expensive John in even in Chicago which is still a moderately priced huge city right you know we're nowhere near the cost of New York City or Los Angeles for example um, but rents are on the rise here too and a lot of times people can actually afford to own for the same price that they're renting but they need help getting over a few of those obstacles and over the 30 years I've been writing, Writing about real estate. I've watched Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and a whole host of other kinds of organizations attempt to find ways to get people over the hump, um, and it works. And once you get into a house, the vast majority of people can keep that property and they build it, and every single month they build up their equity, which is just great. And so uh, very And there's very low risk to the investors who invest in these loans as well. So I'm a big fan of it. I'm glad that Freddie Mac is doing it. Uh, it's so hard for first-time buyers right now. Yeah. Uh, we want to help make it a little easier.
0: Well, I don't know much about it. In fact, all I know about it is what you've told me. But I do remember the last time we did everything we could to help people buy homes. We were giving them 103% of the loan value, and that was a bad idea. Um, one of our listeners says, John, is a mortgage underwriter, I love that you asked the question about helping borrowers get into homes they might not afford. There are many loan programs that only require borrowers to put $1,000 into a transaction. When I approve these loans, I always hope the borrowers understand how this payment will affect them.
1: Well, that's interesting because I didn't think there were very many of those $1,000 down payment loans out there anymore.
0: Hochberg says there aren't. He's he's always going on about how much more difficult it is to... Do that, and he's not against it. He thinks it's it's good. Let's not set people up to fail.
1: Yeah. Well, fifteen years ago, you know, we had the great recession because twenty years ago, and I talked about this then in twenty o four and twenty o five and twenty o six. We were offering (laughs) loans. I think all you had to do was like blow a kiss at the lender, and they would give you a loan for ten times your income. I mean, some crazy stuff. And and that was all fine. It worked great until everybody started losing their jobs. You know, if you lose your job, you can't afford to pay your mortgage. It doesn't matter where your credit score is. You could have an 850 credit score, and if you lose your job, chances are you won't be able to afford your mortgage for very long. And so the problem with the recession back in 2009 and 2010 is that A lot of people lost their jobs who had mortgages, and they were overextended, and then suddenly all those mortgages went into default, which killed everybody's credit score. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time to recover. I mean, I know today everybody who's out there looking for homes goes, there's nothing to buy. But we had about 10 years where there were so many homes available that we didn't think we'd ever have enough buyers for them. And, And then things started flipping around in 2017 and 2018.
0: Got about a minute so, left. Talk to me. Why are you noticing uh, used car sales?
1: Well, you know, it's one thing that um, I, we've talked about this as well, John. The average price of a new car is now about forty dollars to $45,000. It's ridiculously expensive. And so a lot of people have turned to buying used cars, right? And so I thought it was um, instructive to see what the most popular used cars out Uh, in the market are. And the Ford F-150 truck is still the number one uh, most popular used car. At least it was in 2022. It is in 2023, followed by the Chevy Silverado, the Chevrolet Equinox, the Ram 1500. You know, there's like a whole thing going in here. People really want to buy these big trucks. And then you get into like a Toyota Camry is number five.
0: I'm looking at the list, and it's nice to see that five of the top ten are domestic, for what it's worth, at least the nameplate is domestic, Um, and three names appear in the top 20 that are not U.S.-based, Toyota, Honda, and Nissan, which is not surprising. But um, it's some of the usual suspects here, Toyota Camry is five, Honda Civic is six, Toyota RAV4, Toyota Corolla, Ford Explorer, the Nissan Rogue.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say to you that after the first chunk of them, which are all huge trucks, basically, you get into cars that are known to last a very long time, right? A Toyota Camry, a Honda Civic. Uh, these are cars, you know, down down further down on that list is a Honda Accord. These are cars that last for 200,000 plus miles. Yeah. They've got a very nice track record. They're not flashy cars. They're not so fancy, but they last... And they provide great value. And I think you're seeing a lot of that in in different areas as well. But in this used car list, people are looking for cars that will last them for the long run.
0: Maybe um, as evidence that though cars are just getting so expensive, the one that's moved up the most of the top 20 is the Toyota Corolla. It mm. went from 13th to eighth most popular, and that's maybe because that's one of the more affordable cars on that list.
1: Yeah, uh, I think affordability is a big thing right now, John.
0: Elise Glink would know about that. She's the owner of Think Glink Media and Best Money Moves, ThinkGlink.com for her stuff. Let's talk next week, Elise. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, John.
0: Jim Dalkey joins us frequently on Mondays, just about every single Monday from American Inno. You can find the local edition at com, and today's no exception. Jim, welcome back. How are you? Hey, John. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so let's get started. Chicago found to be the top metro for women founders of new VC-backed startups. What's this story?
2: Yeah, you know, a new report has um, some pretty positive details about how Chicago ranks up Uh, when you you look at diverse startups and uh, diverse-led companies in the Chicago startup ecosystem. So a new report by uh, Chicago Blend. This is a group that's been tracking VC statistics in Chicago, specifically around diversity, uh, dating back to 2018. This report found that about 37% of startups in Chicago founded over the last five years have at least one woman founder. That's actually the highest percentage of any city in the report. And the report basically looked at about 10 other cities that are kind of of similar sizes to Chicago in terms of their startup activities. So think cities like Atlanta, Austin, Boston, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, companies like, uh, cities like that. So pretty encouraging statistics there. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, however. Um, Of that 37% uh, that have at least one woman founder, those companies raised less than 15% of the total funding. So even though uh, there are more women-led startups in town, they're receiving less money compared to their male uh, counterparts. So just 14.9% of all that funding is going to women-led startups. Mm -hmm. So certainly... Room to improve there. And look, you know, diversity is something that we've been looking at in the Chicago tech ecosystem for a long time now. Chicago, uh, as a city overall, of course, is very diverse. Its startup ecosystem historically has not been. Uh, the, the companies historically have been largely founded by white men, and the money uh, that venture capitalists have invested into uh, startups in Chicago very largely goes uh, to white men as well. And so, over the last, I would say, you know, five, six years, we've certainly seen a concerted effort from a lot of groups uh, throughout the city to get more uh, startups uh, launched by women and by folks of color and also to see more money go to them as well.
0: I my, my suspicion is the money is coming from white men and going to white men. Is the chain of command this, though, that while women comprise more students in college now, colleges now have more women than men, women... Typically have not and probably still aren't in the same numbers in engineering, mathematics, uh, IT. Uh, I suspect those are more male-dominated majors, and that's where this money is going, right? That's the direction, right?
2: I think that that's fair. I don't have those numbers myself, but I would imagine that that is probably true and in the business schools as well. And so I think that, you know, a lot of these efforts are, you know, kind of going to the university level to increase more participation from from women um, within those uh, business schools, engineering schools, technology schools. You know, one thing that, uh, the, that Chicago Blend looked at was um, the number of venture capitalists who are women in Chicago back in 2018 versus the number of venture capitalists uh, who are women uh, now. And that has gone from about 25% to 30%. So an increase of more women writing checks. And so, you know, maybe not surprising that, you know, the more women who are investors themselves are going to find, you know, more startups led by women and invest in those women. And so um, you know, that's part of the puzzle, right? Getting more women um, kind of in that position of power to write those checks uh, to get it in the hands of more women founders.
0: You all did a story about Core Pharmaceuticals. Is that a Chicago company?
2: That's right, so Core Pharmaceuticals, a Chicago biotech firm, a really interesting company. Uh, they just raised $105 million in a Series A round. Some blue chip kind of biotech investors are a uh, part of that round, including Pfizer and Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, this is a company that's really working to kind of what they say reprogram the way your immune system works, They're targeting a, a few different areas. Um, including type 1 diabetes um, and some other autoimmune issues. Um, it kinda, that's just a serious chunk of change here. You know, We've talked you know, pretty much every Monday here about uh, the lack of funding that has happened nationally, and including in Chicago. And so $105 million funding round for a biotech startup, a theory, including in the Series A round, is certainly significant. I mean, this, that's the type of funding you typically see much later on in sort of a funding life cycle. But uh, this is some serious money as a company looks to bring their drugs to the clinical stage. And, you know, we talk often, too, about how Chicago kind of wants to be a bigger, a heavier hitter in the biotech space. Uh, you know, there's other cities that are certainly ahead of Chicago. You can think uh, the Bay Area, you can think uh, Boston, even cities like Philadelphia have these like very th- uh, large, thriving biotech ecosystems. Chicago, not quite there, but hey, you know, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative just got announced last year. That was a big deal for the biotech community portal innovations we've talked about big investor in the lab space in Chicago. Now you've got a company here in Core Pharmaceuticals, which has got some real uh, cash behind it to kind of continue its growth.
0: Nanoparticle technology. So something very, very small uh, going to uh, treat conditions, huh?
2: Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, you know, what, what we're going to see is they're going to be able to kind of take this new funding, you know, get, you know, take these clinical trials and, and continue to build out what they're working on here. And, um, you know, the, the founder uh, told our reporter, Alex Zorn, like, you know, this is an option for them is to kind of continue to grow. But they also could, you know, potentially, uh, you know, sell to a major pharmaceutical business down the road as well, which, um, you know, based on uh, even the, the funders within the funding round, you, you can imagine that's a, certainly a possibility for this company.
0: Uh, One other way to raise money might be um, at least something you all are talking about, Xena Intelligence. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, Xena Intelli- Intelligence. This is actually a company down in Kentucky. Our, our group down there wrote about these guys. They're taking a really interesting approach to pitching investors. Every startup is trying to yeah, you know, get their pitch deck in front of a venture capital firm to get them early investment. Um, what these guys are doing, Xena, is actually charging investors $5,000 to see their pitch deck. Essentially, it's a cover charge of sorts. For investors to take a look at what these guys are working on, um, what it has resulted in, uh, the company says is more high-value meetings. So they, uh, they, you know, have presented this idea to about 20 different investors, and three actually took them up on it. And I think what you end up getting here uh, is a, a more serious conversation. I think often what's potentially frustrating for startup founders is you're pitching investors who um, you know maybe aren't exactly super serious about investing in your company, but if you get an investor to pony up a little cash uh, on the front end. Uh, you can get a really val- high value conversation, and so this is a, a very interesting approach. Um, and, and this is a company that's now in the middle of raising a five million dollars seed round. That's an e-commerce company doing some interesting things, helping startups sell on platforms like uh, Shopify and Amazon. And so, um, you know, definitely a, a, per- a peculiar approach to pitching VCs, but one that hey, you know, if it works for them, it might catch on.
0: Yeah, well, I'm all for novel, uh, novel ways to raise more money, especially if it trickles up or down here. Jim Dalkey is the uh, national editor at American Inno, and you can click on com for this and stories like it. Nice to talk to you, Jim. Thanks, John. This is the Trust Business Lunch. we got more business news. Here's Steve Grzanich.
3: Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. McDonald's says the war in the Middle East is hurting its business. The company reported growing overall sales and earnings in its fourth quarter, but says the conflict in the Middle East is still looming over sales in the region. McDonald's mostly licenses its brand to independent companies in the Middle East, but it accounts for about 10% of the chain's revenue. McDonald's says its business grew less than 1% in the region compared to more than 4% growth in the U.S. and other nations. Comparable sales rose 3.4% worldwide. Boeing is taking a second look at 50 undelivered 737 MAX jets to fix some problems. Some of the planes were found to have improperly drilled holes on their fuselages. The company says the delay will affect its production schedule but will improve overall quality and stability. The latest development follows the door panel blowout on an Alaska Airlines 737 MAX last month. United and Alaska had to ground their fleets of 737 MAX jets as
4: a result. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Business of Food Time. Here's Steve Alexander. Do you ask my wife, Diane, where she wants to go get a burger? The answer will always be the same. Epic Burger.
1: And I love the turkey burger.
4: It's a little under the radar because there are only five locations, but number six opens today.
5: Yeah, in Northbrook, Illinois, a town I grew up in.
4: That's the boss at Epic Burger, David Grossman, and we'll hear more from him, including a parent's worst nightmare. After I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today, there's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. 2008 is when Epic Burger entered the Chicago Burger Wars. In 2020, David Grossman bought it, gave it a reboot. Three unprofitable stores were closed, and Grossman says he focused on creating a more mindful burger concept.
5: I feel like we do something special. All of our food is high-quality, premium. All of our beef is halal. Everything is fresh. Our french fries, our eggs, our bacon, our buns. And you couple that with obviously great customer service, a great atmosphere, people are gonna to wanna to come back again and again.
4: Yeah, they sure have. Number six opens today in a former Meatheads location in Northbrook.
5: We, we bought the remaining six locations and uh, they will all be epics in the next couple of months.
4: So David was busy growing his business when life decided to interrupt. His 25-year-old daughter, Hallie, got sick?
5: Yeah, I mean, she got you know diagnosed with a very, very rare cancer in May of 2022. And she battled for 10 months. And uh, there was really just no beating this. It was uh, a super rare, really undiagnosed cancer.
4: Uh, that they never really came up with a name for. That was only 10 months ago, but David and his family did what we have to do. We have to keep going. And in honor of Hallie, who spent much of her short time here trying to help others.
5: We started a new foundation called Hallie 225. She was actually born on February 25th. At 2.25 p.m., and she lived until she was 25. And uh, we want to offer scholarships to uh, high school students, really, in every community that we operate in. Try to help improve others' lives and to give people uh, a chance to fulfill their dreams.
4: David Grossman of Chicago's Very Own, and beginning today, Northbrook's Very Own, Epic Burger. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the Business of Food on 720 WGN. The Titanic exhibition is
0: back in Chicago. Uh, There have been exhibitions about Chicago, uh, about the Titanic in our city before. It's always wildly popular, and it's going to open the doors in February at Westfield at uh, Old Orchard Mall. Uh, to tell us a little bit about it, Tom Zoller, CEO of Imagine Exhibitions, joins us on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Hi, Tom. How are you?
6: I'm great, John. How are you doing this
0: morning? Really good. Tell me how this exhibit works. Um, tell me what it's like. Uh, what do we see? Yeah. So
6: uh, you, you mentioned Titanic was, was in Chicago before. It was actually the the first time I ever brought a major touring exhibition to Chicago. So that was. 2000, so 24 years ago is a long time. Um, but that exhibition was loved by Chicagoland folks, and I think this one will, too. Uh, we're at Westfield Old Orchard. Uh, the exhibition, as you mentioned, opens up in the middle of February, right before President's Day weekend. And it is a an immersive walkthrough uh, as if you were going back in time to walk into the Titanic. So you're there before you learn about the over 30,000 men and women who built the ship in Belfast. You learn about her departure day. Uh, when you first come in, you actually get a boarding card of the name of a passenger. So you'll, you'll have a man's boarding card. Uh, your, 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 your female friend will have a, a woman's boarding card. It's an actual card of a passenger. And as you go through and you walk down the first class hallway, or you go into the grand staircase, you see how the first class would have lived on board the ship. And then when you go to the third class hallway and look in the small third class cabin, or into the boiler room, you learn about how that third class and crew lived. So it's really a a, a sort of a physical, three-dimensional storytelling of being on board the Titanic. And yes, we know what happens on the Titanic. There is an iceberg. Uh, the ship hits the iceberg, and we talk about that aftermath and all of the people, the, the the those hopes and dreams of all those passengers who wanted to make it to the U.S. and to start a new life, uh, and those who, who didn't make it. It's a it's a very powerful story. Um, we use objects to help tell the story. So these are objects that were either on board the Titanic or on the sister ship, the Olympic, um, all made by the White Star Line company for this incredible maiden voyage that, uh, as we know, the tragedy that struck.
0: Is it an exhibit where I walk through, or is it one of those things where I go in a room and it appears on the walls all around me? No, this
6: is a walkthrough experience. You, you are, it's a self-guided tour. We start with a little introductory film to set the stage and remind you of where you are. Then you, you take your own pace as you walk through. Uh, there is a VR component for those who want to have that afterwards where you actually can be as if you're diving down to the wreck site and then if you're walking the actual halls of the ship. So, um, but but the, the exhibition itself is a self-guided tour Uh, through all these wonderful spaces. At the end, we have a gallery um, that's dedicated to the wreck site, and it's a a glass floor that you walk over the top of. I was lucky enough to dive the wreck site of the Titanic in the year 2000, and this is my memory of sort of what it feels like, trying to get you, um, the visitor, to feel the feeling of what it's like to be in that submarine, down twelve thousand five hundred feet below the surface of the ocean, seeing the Titanic yourself.
0: Tom, do you have anything to say about the failed effort to go to the site last year, and how dangerous that was? What was your thought when that story broke?
6: Yeah, well, I, I knew two of the people on board the sh- on, on board the sub, um, and I had been talking to uh, one of them right before as they were sailing out to sea. So it's it. it I'll say it it touched me, um, personally, uh, you know, exploring the Titanic has been something that's done for years and years and years. And, um, the idea of trying to sort of democratize or, or, you know, make more available to the public, I think was the, was the goal. Um, it's a, uh, there's a lot to be said about, about the wreck. I know that the people who died down there were doing what they loved. And I think that's, you know, if you're if you're a, a passionate explorer and someone who's pushing the edge, um, I, I guess for that, there's no better way to go. But it was a a, a major loss for the community. Um, it certainly brought reminded attention to the, the wreck of the Titanic and to uh, adventure seekers around the world. that um, was a tragic day for for, you know, certainly all those men and their families.
0: Your business has presented exhibits uh, like this about Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, um, Angry Birds, The Art and Science Behind a Global Phenomenon, Jurassic Park, uh, Downton Abbey, uh, The Titanic. Um, is this, in fact, the same show we saw previously? Are there some new twists to it?
6: No, the show, if, if you were, if you saw it in, in 2000, that was a long time ago. So um, back then I was with a, a different company, and I started this company uh, 15 years ago, and I made this... This show after the hundredth anniversary, which was on Titanic sunk in, in 2012. Titanic sunk in 1912. So yeah. the hundredth anniversary was 12 years ago. So started doing it again there, and just have been improving it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a wonderful show. and Actually, you mentioned *Downton Abbey*. Funny. Uh, next door to the Titanic exhibition is our Downton Abbey exhibition. So if you are a, a fan, uh, you can make a, a longer day of it there by going to Westfield Old Orchard, you know, go see one, have lunch, and go to the other, or, mm. you know, maybe have a, a high tea with us or something. We're doing some high tea activations later in uh, in the year as well.
0: Tickets start at $29 for adults. There's discounts for kids, seniors, military groups as well. Um, it's at Old Orchard kicking off. February 16th February 16th so do I click on imagine exhibitions com is that the best way to do it Tom
6: uh, just go to uh, the, the, the Titanic exhibition com and you'll see it right there it's uh, you can't miss it and there's Easy links to click on. There's all kinds of different, like you said, different discounts for people and days and days of the week and whatever suits you. It's uh, we have been having tremendous success with sales so far. So I would encourage people to book in advance just so they get the day and time they want. First time, it uh, came yeah, through we're town. excited to be back.
0: Yeah, the first time he came through town, over eight hundred thousand people, almost half a million. The second time, Tom Zoller is the CEO of Imagine Exhibitions, the exhibition.com Tom, well done, and uh, thank. Thanks for your time. Good luck. Again, February 16th, it starts at Old Orchard. Incidentally, I've been reading a book called How to Survive History. What if you were in Pompeii the day the volcano went kaboom? What if you were being chased by a Tyrannosaurus? How would you survive? And what they said about the sinking of the Titanic is heartbreaking and fascinating.